You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. CISA updates its guidance on SolaraGate and issues an alert that the threat actor may have used attack vectors other than the much-discussed SolarWinds backdoor. Some reports suggest that a widely used development tool produced by a Czech firm may have been compromised. The cyber espionage campaign is now known to have extended to the Department of Justice and the U.S. federal courts. Robert M. Lee shares lessons learned from a recent power grid incident in Mumbai, our guest is Yasir Abusulham from Splunk on how attackers find new ways to exploit emerging technologies and the cyber implications of the Capitol Hill riot. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, January 7th, 2021. CISA said late yesterday that it had determined that the threat actor behind the SolaraGate incident used additional SAML attack vectors beyond the now well-known SolarWinds supply chain approach. Alert AA20-352A reported that, quote, CISA has evidence that there are initial access vectors other than the SolarWinds Orion platform and has identified legitimate account abuse as one of these vectors, Specifically, we are investigating incidents in which activity indicating abuse of security assertion markup language, that's SAML, tokens consistent with this adversary's behavior is present, yet where impacted SolarWinds instances have not been identified. End quote. We read the ambiguous phrase legitimate account abuse as meaning abuse of legitimate accounts. It's the compromised accounts that are legitimate, not the abuse, which of course is never legitimate. Yesterday's alert also addresses the finding security firm Veloxity reported last month, quote, Veloxity has also reported publicly that they observed the APT using a secret key that the APT previously stole in order to generate a cookie to bypass the Duo multi-factor authentication protecting access to Outlook web app. Veloxity attributes this intrusion to the same activity as the SolarWinds Orion supply chain compromise, and the TTPs are consistent between the two. This observation indicates that there are other initial access vectors beyond SolarWinds Orion, and there may still be others that are not yet known. End quote. So the campaign has long been regarded as complicated and sophisticated, but the care and complexity of the threat actor's approach continue to come to light. CISA has also updated Emergency Directive 21-01 to reflect what's now known about the campaign and offering new guidance on effective remediation. That guidance includes both forensic analysis and reporting requirements. First, if there's no evidence of follow-on activity by the threat actor, it's time to rebuild. As the directive puts it, quote, Federal agencies without evidence of adversary follow-on activity on their networks that accept the risk of running SolarWinds Orion in their enterprises should rebuild or upgrade, in compliance with hardening steps outlined in the supplemental guidance, to at least SolarWinds Orion Platform version 2020.2.1 HF2. End quote. 
NSA has examined this version and determined that, quote, it eliminates the previously identified malicious code, end quote. And the upgraded version also includes other fixes important to security going forward. Second, if an organization has evidence that the threat actor has been back or has never left, they are to check in with CISA. Quote, federal agencies with evidence of follow-on threat actor activity on their networks should keep their affected versions disconnected, conduct forensic analysis, and consult with CISA before rebuilding or re-imaging affected platforms and host operating systems. End quote. It's an ongoing threat, of course, but it's also an opportunity to learn more about the adversary. CISA didn't say so in yesterday's statements, but the New York Times reports that both government investigators and private security firms are now looking into the possibility that JetBrains, a Czech firm with researchers in Russia, may have been an approach for the Solargate attackers. JetBrains would appear to be the Eastern European software company mentioned in reports earlier this week as possibly implicated in further supply chain compromises. The company makes tools for developers, and those are used by developers in several large companies, including SolarWinds. The tool of interest is JetBrains TeamCity, which developers use to test and exchange software code before releasing it. TeamCity is widely used. JetBrains counts among its customers not only SolarWinds, but also Google, Hewlett-Packard, Citibank, Siemens, VMware, and a great many Android developers. JetBrains said in its blog that it hasn't been contacted by investigators. It also says that it wasn't involved in any attack and that its customers, including SolarWinds, hadn't complained of security issues. The company does note that Team City is a complex product that requires proper certification for secure and effective use. The AP reports that the U.S. Department of Justice has confirmed that some of its systems, although none that handle classified information, were compromised in Solarigate. The compromise also extended to U.S. federal courts. The Administrative Office of the U.S. Court says an apparent compromise of the U.S. Judiciary's case management and electronic case file system is under investigation. Rioters protesting the results of the 2020 U.S. presidential election rampaged through the U.S. Capitol yesterday evening to protest the certification of the electoral votes that, now certified, have confirmed the victory of President-elect Biden. Three aspects of the riot are of significance to cybersecurity. First, there's the use of social media to incite the rioting. In this respect, President Trump has come in for considerable criticism— as he has for weeks not only contested the fairness and legitimacy of the election, as he's entitled to do within reason, but also more recently encouraged demonstrators to come to Washington and express their displeasure with the outcome. His last tweet yesterday urged demonstrators to be peaceful, but that unfortunately seemed to have had little effect. The Wall Street Journal reports that Twitter has suspended the president for the next few days, and that Facebook has kicked him off its platforms, at least until he leaves office. Second, there was apparently some use of social media to organize the riot, including messages directing protesters down streets where they'd be less likely to be interdicted by police. And finally, the physical ransacking of a place where there were computers presents the possibility of physical destruction, theft, or compromise. Some staffers evacuated their offices in such haste that machines were left on, with emails and other material up on their screens. 
And at least one senator reported the theft of a computer. Reuters reports that Senator Jeff Merkley, Democrat of Oregon, said that rioters took a laptop from a desk in his office. Lest it be forgotten that riots are kinetic acts in the physical world, remember this. In addition to the physical destruction at the Capitol itself, one of the rioters was shot dead by police. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. My guest today is Yasir Abusulham. He's Chief Information Security Officer at Splunk. And he joins us today with some thoughts on what has his attention as 2021 is upon us. Uh, Yasir, welcome to the show. Thank you, David. Good to be here. So 2021, uh, first of all, I guess there's a lot of us who can probably agree that it's um, we're looking forward to having uh, 2020 in our rearview mirror uh, <laughs> for many, many reasons. Um, but uh, as we are heading into 2021 here, what sort of things have your attention? What's what's caught your eye? What what do you think um, we need to be focused on? Yeah, there's a there's a few things actually. So uh, if we think about this this year 2020 and extrapolates into 2021, I think one thing that uh, definitely catches my attention is the fact that remote work is here to stay. That is one safe prediction that we can make. Uh, the second thing that is somewhat related is the fact that attackers will continue capitalizing on the latest social and political issues. Another thing that, um, in terms of predictions, that I think we, we will see continue to rise is the attacks on the supply chain. Um, and then lastly, uh, digital transformation. I think what we have seen and which will, con- will continue most likely into 2021 is this acceleration of digital transformation as a way 
for organizations to provide their employees and customers with the services that they need to uh, to be effective. So in terms of, of what we might expect from the attackers themselves, what, what sort of things are, are on your radar there? Yeah, um, I think the attackers will continue pursuing the shortest path to compromise. And typically, uh, that consists of using the, the, what I call the standard techniques to achieve that compromise. Um, and by standard techniques, I mean uh, things like social engineering, i.e. phishing, uh, fraud, and so on. Uh, you have ransomware going after misconfigured or vulnerable infrastructure, application layer attacks, and things like password spraying and credential stuffing. So those are the what I would call the standard attacks. And that's what's being used on a day-to-day basis. Typically, you put any kind of device or system on the internet, and it will get scanned within minutes. And then you have the more advanced attacks, and that's what's being used by the well-funded, in some cases, nation-state actors. And they uh, uh, typically focus on or target supply chain. Uh, they're able to acquire, weaponize, and use zero days. Uh, you see a rampant also use of either physical attacks, extortion techniques, and so on. That is not something that we see on a day-to-day basis, but uh, just uh, some of these techniques that we should be aware of. All right. Yasir Abusulham, Chief Information Security Officer at Splunk. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He's the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. Um, We recently had this story about... Uh, a sizable power outage in Mumbai. Uh, and I wanted to get your take on this because um, as as is always the case when these sorts of things happen, there is a certain uh, group of people who want to point the finger at cyber. Uh, I wanted to get your take. Uh, where do you think we stand here? Sure. So I'll say so far that the folks that have seemed to have pointed the finger towards cyber have actually been those involved in the government, um, the state government in that region in India. Um, so it always raises the level of discussion when you have um, alleged you know, government-involved personnel. Now, that being said, we have also seen before where government personnel have come out and claimed um, cyber attacks as a relation uh, to outages, and they were either wrong or they were purposely misleading. So a good example uh, of folks that have been wrong before, and not to you know, in any way make them feel bad, but just for the purpose of education here, uh, we've seen... Uh, a good example is uh, one of the Israeli uh, energy ministers uh, came out 
uh, at a conference they had and said, right now we have the worst cyber attack in history taking place uh, and is uh, taking place on the Israeli power grid. What he actually meant to say was uh, there was a phishing email to a PC in a regulatory office completely disconnected from the electric uh, grid that somebody opened the email and it had ransomware on it. You know, those two things are very different. So it's, you know, capturing the nuance of things like electric power outages and cyber attacks can be difficult for folks. We've also had the malicious before, or I would say at least the intentionally misleading, where we had government officials in Venezuela um, come out and blame the United States for cyber attacks, taking down portions of their electric infrastructure when it was actually their mismanagement and under-resourcing of maintenance as related to some of their dam infrastructure. So government being involved is interesting, but not necessarily convincing. So at the highest level, what I will say is the individuals supposedly involved have said there's going to be a government report coming out. That's when people should look at it and and take it for consideration and start digging into the details. Prior to that report, there's nothing to dig into. Anything at this point would just be speculation. There's folks that could very reasonably try to argue that there's been conflict between China and India in the region. Uh, we do expect to see cyber attacks on infrastructure in geopolitical tense times. Saw that between Russia and Ukraine, Russia and Georgia, Russia and others. Um, we've seen it before uh, around the world. You also do accept, though, that India has had um, a number of maintenance issues on portions of their infrastructure before, and outages are pretty common. Um, also, there's uh, reason to take credit or sort of, you know, play the victim card, if you will, um, related to cyber attacks, as, as again, as we saw in Venezuela, versus admitting infrastructure problems. So basically what I'm saying is everybody needs to dial it down. There's nothing here that raises suspicion that there was a cyber attack. There's nothing here that disperses the idea that there could have been. Um, so there's not a whole lot of details to this. Everyone just needs to wait. But until further information, um, I would put this in the camp of not very likely, um, but something to watch. Now, a point that that I've seen you make is that when, when these sorts of things happen, um, you know, people go looking through their systems. They go looking for, and almost looking for trouble. Um, and so it's not unusual to find some malware in a system somewhere, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that bit of found malware was the thing responsible for this outage. Absolutely. I, I guarantee if they go looking in their systems, they will absolutely find malicious software somewhere or scans from you know Chinese IP addresses or something along those lines. Um, and the reality is, to, it's exactly the point you just made, Incident responders, when they get involved, are usually taking a much deeper look than day-to-day security efforts. And and that's obvious because day-to-day security efforts, you have so much going on, you can't look deeply at everything. There's not enough time in the day. And when you get, you know, sort of called in and told, here is a network segment, here are some key systems, look for everything, you are going to find things that get missed. And we've seen this before time and time again. We've dealt with it in my firm in incident response cases where uh, folks will start to see you know, artifacts of previous pen tests, previous uh, adversaries, random malware, et cetera, and start trying to correlate these to events they've had. Oh, well, I remember there was something weird going on in the relay, or, oh, this, you know, there was an outage here that we couldn't really explain. Mm-hmm. And, and I will challenge the community by saying, we don't do good enough forensics and ICS or industrial control systems to really 
prove those things very often. Um, that's a, a gap we have. But also, we can't go the other direction and then correlate things together just because they exist in the network. Um, and, and too often, we see the opposite, which is what I think might be happening here because the government personnel explicitly mentioned that they did find malware on some of those systems. And the pure presence of malware means absolutely nothing. Yeah. All right. Uh, interesting perspective for sure. Uh, Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. The art of engineering. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.